0: The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. I have been circling around the idea that legacy, what we inherit and what we leave behind, how it's part of our growing up as a people, a person, a nation, to wrestle with this, and how what we inherit shapes often what we seek to leave behind. A part of growing up even is the process of knowing, coming to know how we were shaped and by whom and why and unpacking the mystery. As it's revealed to us in family reunions and stories, ours, our parents, grandparents, if we knew them, like Don described in his piece. Early in life, what we inherit is the water that we swim in and we don't often have reason to question it until we do. And if we are lucky, a larger, fuller truth, more honest vista gets revealed. Scales get lifted from our eyes. Things get more complicated. Revelation, of course, as we know, is ongoing. And when it begins, the growing up begins too. In February of 2009, Attorney General Eric Holder, said to his staff in the Justice Department in honor of Black History Month that despite all we can celebrate, quote, in things racial, we in the United States have always been and we, I believe, continue to be in too many ways a nation of cowards. It was a call to see that reckoning with history and legacy for the courageous, requisite work it is for grown-ups. On this Sunday of Martin Luther King weekend, it seems especially apropos to talk about that work. Years ago, I saw a documentary about a family who entered into this work, a white family, led by some members with others agreeing to go on the journey. The documentary that was made about it was called Traces of the Trade. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's directed by Katrina Brown. Katrina is one of the descendants of the DeWolf family, a historically prominent family from Rhode Island. Early in the documentary, the 10 cousins agree to go on this journey, and they begin it first in their hometown, at least their families, historic hometown of Bristol, Rhode Island, looking at historic society records and buildings that were once owned by one of their prominent ancestors, James DeWolf. The journey begins there. And why was James so prominent? So the story begins I think often the assumption is that the South is the cornerstone of slavery. The foundation, the anchor, the engine behind it, and the slave trade. But they come to learn that half of the Africans brought to the U.S. as slaves landed in Rhode Island. And the most successful of the families who were part of that work were the DeWolfs successful in that work. From 1769 to 1820, the DeWolf family alone brought 10,000 people out of West Africa into slavery. One estimate is that as many as half a million of their descendants currently live in the US, the descendants of those 10,000 slaves. James DeWolf was the most successful of the three generations who engaged in the slave trade. Financially, by the time James died, he was the second wealthiest man in the country, purportedly. The U.S. Navy was small at that time in our history, but still, in his time, James DeWolf owned more ships than the U.S. Navy. And all of this was something that the co-author of Gather at the Table, Thomas DeWolf, did not know until he was in his 40s. Part of knowing our history is unearthing what often gets conveniently out of shame or fear written out, spoken in whispers and then never at all. The DeWolfs, they knew their family had been prominent, had money, Thomas said in an interview once, the typical white person's response to slavery is, yes, it is bad, but it wasn't us. It wasn't my people. Except it was his people. And so he and the family that were invited to join set about tracing the extent of the triangle of geography of the slave trade as their family had participated in it from Cuba to West Africa and all the holdings that were part of that very well orchestrated effort. Part of their journey is realizing how embedded, how deeply embedded slavery was, not to diminish their own culpability as a family, but as they and others have pointed out, it wasn't just the slave traders who were complicit. The entire economy of places like Rhode Island were based on the slave trade. The boatmakers, the sailmakers, the sailors, the grocers, the bankers, the insurance brokers, a whole array of businesses, and all the businesses that served the people who served those businesses. So, doctors and school teachers and garbage collectors, everyone benefits from and participates in it. That's part of the deep sin of this history. Everyone benefits, but the 10,000 people the DeWolfs will bring from their home in West Africa to a life of sorrow and abuse and degradation for themselves and generations to come. After Traces of the Trade was released and Thomas writes his own book chronicling that same journey, the one the documentary covers, his journey doesn't end because he's invited to a gathering of an organization called Coming to the Table that started in 2006. And there he meets Sharon Leslie Morgan, the African-American woman we heard from this morning in our reading, She's from Chicago. Morgan is a marketing and communications consultant. She founds the National Black Public Relations Society. She's also interested in genealogy. Five months later, the two meet again. And after talking, they decide to take up the challenge of what the healing work might be, might mean, They decide they are going to journey together to learn more about slavery, more about our nation's history, and commit to knowing each other and each other's families intimately. In the next three years, Morgan and DeWolf will visit 27 states, experiencing together sites of racial terror and civil rights victories. Courthouses and plantations and antebellum homes traveled to Lawrence, Kansas, to the Battle of Blackjack, where Free State and pro-slavery forces first battle, and to Tobago, even, to the enormous sugar plantations there. They commit to being radically open and honest in the process. They learn history that no one ever told them about. Thomas says at one point, it isn't just that his family in the North were as guilty as the Southerners. He says it's the sundown towns in the West and so much history and complicity, enough to go around. And what they... What they find too, in sometimes surprising moments, is how and where the legacy of the trauma of slavery shows up on the journey. One story Thomas tells is of a trip, a trip they took once when they're driving to his sister's house for Thanksgiving as part of this work, to get to know one another's families intimately. His sister lives in Southern California, in a rural part of the state, and so somewhere along the drive to get there, they pull off highways and main roads, and they find themselves on rural back roads that will be the final stretch until they get to her house. It's a road, he says, with arching trees over Head and avocado orchards and fields, something that for him likely feels calm and lush and gorgeous. But as they go over a bridge, Sharon seems anxious and asks, if the road floods, is that bridge the only way out? Thomas says that was odd because the The riverbed was dry, and at this time in Southern California, there's not rain or a threat of it, and none was predicted. He wonders what's going on and makes a joke about it, and she doesn't laugh, so they talk. And they realize that Sharon has learned, has been taught the dangers of being alone with white people, especially in rural places. Lynchings are part of her family's history. It's part of the history of this country they know and pass along. And she's been taught you must always know a couple of ways out of a place. A place like this. There is, quote, distance built on unease, on shame, on discomfort that is rooted in traumatic separation, Thomas said in a C-SPAN interview in 2014. Katrina Brown, the filmmaker, notes in a PBS interview of her, we all inherit this unfinished business. And Sharon says of the healing, It's gonna take a lot of work over a lot of years because it took a long time to get here. And all agree it will be work of acknowledgement first and then atonement and repair. If the DeWolf's experience as a family is any indication it takes this intention to uncover the history that now would prefer to be forgotten and time and intention and commitment, including in relationships across the race divide, to begin to understand the deeper legacy of that history. And finally, time for healing and asking big questions about now what that people like Ta-Nehisi Coates in his well-known article in the Atlantic Monthly in 2014 on reparations asks, and others are asking too, and asking white Americans to answer faithfully and boldly. Groups like Coming to the Table Now offer Reparation guides you can download that detail processes for personal and societal reparations, in the largest sense, the repairing work. Because things don't just happen in history, right? People make things happen. Because as a nation, just like for each one of us, as a person, we won't grow up, we won't really grow up until we see and confront and make sense of the whole story. Because in this conquered slice of North America we call the United States, a country whose wealth was and is still built on the exploitation of others, whose founding story is not just courage, and vision, but genocide and cruel and horrific evil. We will have no ability to claim the best of what is possible for us all until there is honesty, atonement, connection, healing, repair, reconciliation, and reparation. Which of course means that the white folk in the room, (laughs) all of us who are white have to own our part of the work, which didn't end with the civil rights rallies or when we saw a little bit further than our parents did. Everyone's hands are dirty, everyone's sleeves need to be rolled up and love guides this long journey and it is the best reason to stay on it. But you know all of this. So let me just tell you a little of what you can avail yourself of. Some folks are reading the Indigenous Peoples' History of the United States this month. We're discussing it 10 days from now, Wednesday night or Thursday lunch that week. Read it, finish it. I have a few pages to go and come. Rochelle, where are you? Rochelle Fortier-Wadibia, who's our Vice President on the Board of Trustees. She and I are getting a wholeness task force off the ground that is answerable to and in relationship to the board to coordinate this part of our work, the work we're talking about this morning, and also coordinate the healing that happens when hurt happens here among us, which it does. Places like the Racial Equity Institute do great training. So does our denomination. And there are opportunities for UUs of color to support one another at annual conferences and online communities that help hold the pain of a denomination that is not yet completely reconciled to the hurt it inflicts regularly on its members who are people of color and to help chart a way forward. Finally, of course, you and I can begin digging into our own stories of legacy and then sharing those honestly as we do this work. And then we ask what we hang on to and what needs change and what needs repair before we take this legacy of life we have been given and history and pass it on. It's gonna take a lot of work over a lot of years, Sharon Leslie Morgan says of the healing, because it took a long time to get here. But the land to which we hope we are bound demands that this is the only road to freedom and justice. So here we go, one more step. Bless us all in the journey. As King said, we cannot walk alone and we walk. As we walk, we make the pledge that we shall march ahead because we cannot turn back. listening to this podcast of the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco Sunday Morning Worship Service. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to uusf.org. While you're there, check out our monthly newsletter, Weekly Flame, and much, much more.